Hello, and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst. So if President Biden is going to fulfill this dream, his dream of being the, the new FDR, FDR 2.0, he is going to have to channel a lot more LBJ. Now, all these comparisons to history, they have limits. You don't need to be a Professor Harvey K to understand that both FDR and LBJ had the advantage of large Democratic majorities in Congress, majorities that helped them enact the New Deal and the Great Society. While President Biden is operating with the narrowest possible margin, one vote in the Senate, and the challenge of one vote is that any senator of either party can gum up the works at any time for any reason. At first, the big problem was the right-wing senators, Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who, truth be told, aren't really with us agenda-wise on most things, whether it is raising the minimum wage or ending the filibuster. That's hard enough. But now, a second front is emerging. Senators who we agree with more than disagree with, threatening to use their power of one vote to drive specific agendas as Senators Tammy Duckworth and Mazi Hirano did to get more Asian Americans into the administration, in which the Deputy Chief of Staff, Jen O'Malley Dillon, responded with, quote, we have Kamala Harris. Oof, really? After some frantic consultation with the White House, Duckworth and Hirano backed away today from their threat to block Biden nominations. Not, you know, I'm not disputing her goal, but if every senator operates this way, the Biden administration will rapidly break down and get nothing done, which will make the Republicans very happy. But let me be clear, I put the weight here on President Biden, not on Senators Duckworth and Hirano. It never should have come to this public showdown. Which brings us back to President Biden, FDR and LBJ. Here's the thing about politics. Politics, like life, often involves choosing whether you are going to do something just because you can, or maybe forego something because even though you can, it would be better for the greater good not to. The fact that a senator can do something is different from whether they will do something. And that is the difference Joe Biden has to work with. Any senator at any time can bring his administration to a screeching halt. But whether they will, whether they will do that rests largely on whether they will listen to President Joe Biden, whether they respect President Joe Biden, whether they are afraid of President Joe Biden. The thing about LBJ was that he understood this to his long bones. He could encourage, entice, barter, and cajole. And when it came down to it, he could intimidate. In politics, fear is sometimes ne necessary, sometimes. Emphasis on sometimes, <clears throat> Andrew Cuomo. But Biden does not seem to be invoking much fear or, frankly, respect from his Senate. Even Chuck Schumer smells that Biden will do his own thing, and he's actually giving Schumer cover to go more progressive, knowing well that many of the issues he's now backing won't actually push forward because Biden won't let them. Without some fear to glue things together, Biden will not hold the 50 votes to do the big things he says he wants to do, the big things the country needs him to do. His team leaked out this week that Biden is putting together a $3 trillion economic plan. This plan includes a significant green infrastructure program to curb climate change. No Green New Deal, but it's a green infrastructure program. As well as an investment in people through universal pre-K and free college for at least, you know, the first two years. President Biden's team, if it is a team, 
are already losing the communications high ground. Mitch McConnell has smeared these plans by calling them a Trojan horse for tax increases. Not surprising coming from Mitch, of course, but it is an early warning that we are going to have, we are definitely not going to have a polite debate. These major actions, these vitally needed actions will only happen if Joe, Joe Biden can bring to bear the power of his office and his years of experience in the Senate and his relationships that he brags about in the Senate to line up 50 votes. This is basic. This is basic legislative process. And if there's anybody who should be able to get this done, it is the man who spent most of his life since he was 28 years old in Washington. This is not an intellectual exercise. This is about the use of political power to get something good done for the country, or at least your legacy, Joe Biden, while we are in a crisis. Otherwise, what are you here for? You can't just keep blaming process and the Senate and the crises. You're here to lead. If you're not answering to us, if you're not answering to your legacy, who are you answering to right now, President Biden? Maybe that's the big question. We have a wonderful show today. Uh, Helen Hong is here to discuss the rise in attacks against the Asian community and her personal story, which is horrifying. And later, Jordan Zacharin is here to discuss Andrew Cuomo, you know, my favorite topic. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to discuss another one of my favorite topics. We have a special debate here. Uh, statehood or self-determination for Puerto Rico? It's a, it's a spicy debate. You want to stick around for this. of the moment on our show and many other places. Uh, we are talking about the status issue of Puerto Rico, which is a big issue. It's been an issue for ever, uh, but it's it's now coming head to head. Possibly this is the moment, not sure, uh, uh, in Washington with two bills that have present, been presented. One is advocating for the statehood of Puerto Rico, and the other is advocating for self-determination through a convention. So I'm excited to have two friends Really, two friends, I'll say that. Uh, Luis Avila is a DNC member. Uh, he is a DNC National Committee man, as, as I've known him through the years. And he is a statehood advocate. And Federico de Jesus is a former Obama-Biden official uh, and, and uh, the founder, co-founder, no, founder, excuse me, of FDJ Solutions. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Nomiki. <laughs> all right, I'm going to go all the way in, right? Let's talk about the two bills and what they mean to you. Louise, I'll start with you because I feel like uh, we need to give fair time to the statehood side. <laughs> what is, explain the evolution of this statehood bill that is, is presented before Congress right now. Okay, so essentially a bill was filed in Congress that uh, would basically offer statehood uh, for Puerto Ricans and for Puerto Rico to ratify uh, the vote that already happened and occurred back in November where 53% of, of the uh, voters voted for statehood. Um, I think it's the, uh, you know, Puerto Rico's colonial situation is, is the unfinished business of American democracy. And I feel as though this bill provides the vehicle uh, that will allow for Puerto Ricans to gain for the very first time that first class citizenship that we, that we deserve. Um, you know, I think uh, Puerto Ricans deserve a, a seat at the table and, and uh, to the extent that we are not represented and actually have voting power in Congress uh, and the people who enact the, the laws that affect 
uh, all of us who live in the island, um, you know, that, that, that is something that needs to be addressed. And, and, and this legislation that was filed uh, in a bipartisan manner, uh, I think it provides uh, for the best opportunity to reach that, that goal. Um, what does it mean when, when, if this were to happen, if Puerto Rico were to become a state, what would happen next? Would the debt be eliminated? Uh, you know, give us some examples of how this would change. So uh, that, that's a great question. I mean, uh, people think that statehood is something that you're just going to turn a switch on and off, and it doesn't work that way. It would have to include a transition plan that uh, would have to address that that very that very same topic, right? The, the Puerto Rico's debt burden, how it would be managed. Uh, would uh, legislation that currently uh, allows for a process uh, bankruptcy process in Puerto Rico, how would that continue? And, and definitely the tax system will need to be changed and many other federal programs on the island will also, would also change. Uh, but I think that's, that's one of, the, what, that's one of the, the, the things that need to be addressed, especially by Congress, uh, because at the end of the day, uh, the, the bug stops, stops there. So it, it's all decided by, uh, by Congress under the territorial clause. And that's something that needs to be negotiated and approved as part of the statehood admission process. Well, this process would be taking place, would, as a state, as all states in the union, I mean, this happened to Louisiana and Hawaii and, and parts of Alaska, um, which did not speak English first, would the island be forced to start uh, legislating and, you know, everything from the courts to the legislature, uh, would it be forced to be pushed into English? Well, right now, our official, we have two official languages in Puerto Rico by law, it's Spanish and English. Um, we have federal courts operating in Puerto Rico. They already operate in English. Our state courts are mainly operating in Spanish, but uh, they also allow writs uh, to be presented in English. Uh, so it's it's really the, the language thing. I don't think it's a it's a big impediment. Uh, I think we, you know, as a nation in the 21st century, uh, we're certainly and all the cultures that 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 are mixed in and and uh, make a part of the what America is the great melting pot of the world. Um, I think that wouldn't be an impediment to to gaining equality through statehood. Okay, let's uh, move forward on this self-determination bill. There is a bill that was presented by uh, Representative. You said we should be passionate and interrupt. Yes, so... yes, yes. But I want you to explain your side, and then but go ahead, go ahead. Let, let me let me actually agree with Luis in the sense that yes, Congress owes Puerto Rico those details of a transition plan of what would happen with language, right? Because the fact is that even though there are a lot of Hispanics in New Mexico and California and in other states, those states operate in English. Their state legislatures debate in English. Unlike Puerto Rico, their courts are in English and their school systems are in English and the government operates in English. So if you want equality, shouldn't it be equality for all Americans, not just the people who lived in the potential state of Puerto Rico, number one, and number two, if Congress is going to offer statehood like that bill that, that he described does, Shouldn't that offer include the transition plan so Puerto Ricans know when taxes would kick in, what language requirements there could be? For New Mexico, there were in the Enabling Act. Yes, a sovereign state can have any language that it wants. There's no precedent for that in the U.S. So Congress needs to tell people what actually statehood means, and then we can make a decision. But just to offer statehood without the transition plan, it's like when Republicans criticized Pelosi when she said, we need to pass the bill and then you'll find out what's in it. Um, so those are my two cents. But Fede, transition plans weren't included in bills for Hawaii and Alaska. So why why would you put another bar or set Puerto Rico for another bar? I mean, the transition plans need to be discussed and they need to be addressed by Congress. Uh, but I, 
I wouldn't detain the admissions bill because because it doesn't specify all the different details on how it's going to. You don't want people to know the details of what their decision entails. Is that what you're saying? I, I didn't say that, Fede. All I'm saying is that you shouldn't delay or stop a bill because those, you know, every single detail that you want to know and how it's going to be addressed as part of a transition um, is not included in the bill. I mean, the, the, first the people need to ratify the vote, and then you talk about how or how the United States is going to incorporate a new state, just as it did back in back when it admitted Alaska and it admitted Hawaii. But you said that when they admitted Alaska and Hawaii, there was a transition plan. If Puerto Ricans don't know, it was that. a transition plan, but it wasn't on the ballot. <laughs> it, okay, it, so you don't have the transition plan on the ballot. So let's right. let's the alternative here is there is another bill, um, and this is the bill that representatives Nidia Velasquez and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, as well as uh, Robert Menendez, Senator Menendez, uh, put forth last week. So Federico, that um, can you explain what this bill is, and does it have a transition plan? It does. If. That's a requirement. And that's one of the reasons that I like the bill. Some people think it's complicated, and that's a fair point, but it has some basic elements um, for self-determination to be real and meaningful. Number one, it would be uh, involving Congress exactly explaining what each option would mean and leave it up to Puerto Ricans uh, in, in the politics in the island or, or pundits like Luis and me to spin our way through this. It should be official. It should be Congress telling us what they would offer, and then we should decide. And it also involves every representative, every option. I know Luis will say, well, people who disagreed with statehood in November in a plebiscite where he correctly stated statehood got 52.5 or 53 percent of the vote, uh, they actually were voting on a non-binding referendum without knowing what statehood would mean. And therefore, to say that all options were represented in the no, it's like saying, well, Trump could have run an election. Trump, yes or no, he would have loved that. A little bit unfair for the Biden folks. So I think self-determination should be inclusive, it should be binding, and it should involve all sides. And, and that's actually closer to the Biden position, even though he said he preferred statehood. The White House said that another referendum should be held, and it should be a fair one. Um, just to be clear, so folks know, when Biden was asked about the position of state, he said, yes, I believe it should be a state, but there should be a fair process where all parties um, have a stake in the matter. That's his official position. So uh, let's talk about these plebiscites, because there have been many. And uh, they're all non-binding, as, as Federico says. This last one, while it was 52.8% or 53% of the voters who voted, voted on a ballot, said yes or no to statehood, it was still very low turnout and it was not representative of all voters on the island. Uh, Luis, I mean, the UN, this is their procedure when they're looking to decolonize uh, territories um, or kingdoms in the past, for instance. Uh, they want to make sure that the, the that the vast majority of the citizens, the residents on an island, on the island or on the location, are in agreement about an issue. Fifty three percent with thirty something percent turnout is by no means the vast majority. So how can you go in and use that as the reference point um, to Congress members who may not be as you know sophisticated in understanding the dynamics of the island? The first thing we need to we need to address is the turnout uh, issue. It's, it 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 is constant and and uh, uniform of what the last election was as well. Not the last plebiscite, but the last general election. And it, that's because of a federal court decision uh, ordered the voter rolls, let's call it, to be inflated or to include people that either have been deceased or have moved out of Puerto Rico. Uh, the voter rolls haven't been updated in, in more than 15 years, I think. Um, so well, how many of how many of those people are there? I mean, is this like when the Republicans say, you know, dead people are on the ballot and then you find out it's like one person in all of Wisconsin? 
Not on the ballot, but on the registry. On the registry. So the so number that you're using to come up with the 53% or the number that has been determined to come up with the 53% or the uh, whatever, the, the rollout, the turnout uh, that you mentioned, um, it's, it's, it includes people that were registered in the rolls back in, I think it was 2005 or 2006. Um, so there's a lot of people there that have moved out of Puerto Rico that are probably deceased. Uh, and they're being used as a, a denominator when you divide and try to take out the, the, the turnout percentage. So the turnout is really higher and it's really uh, uniform with what has happened uh, before uh, in the last general elections. The reality is that 53%, yes, it's, it's a, a number that to me, any politician would dream of winning any, any uh, election uh, by you know, six percentage points. That's a, that's a landslide in any election. Um, just to, when you think about it, Biden was, President Biden was elected as president with 49% of the vote. And he is the president. Against um, and no somebody, one is though. questioning. Hmm? Against an actual thing, though. There weren't two ideas. It wasn't like Donald Trump ran against not Donald Trump, as, as Federico said. And also, that's an election. That's different than, okay, this is my future. This is every single aspect of my life and my history and my blood. And do I have to learn English or not English? Or I mean, all of these different aspects. This is the UN's, uh, how they configure whether or okay, not- Okay, has, the, has the UN opposed the fact that Great Britain left the European Union? Have they opposed that? Or have they said that that wasn't- because that happened with 50, 51%. This is even higher than that one. I mean, elections matter. Elections have they, consequences. So they weren't determining, they were determining whether or not they were leaving an arrangement, not, they weren't, the UK was not beholden to the EU. They were tied into many measures, but they weren't a colony, essentially, of the EU. They determine their own laws. There's no fiscal oversight it was still, I understand that, Nomi, but it's, it was still a self-determination exercise. So... I mean, okay, you know, we're, we're going to talk about what percentage works in one self-determination process and which one is not. I mean, it should be the same bar. Let me agree with Luis again. I don't really like the whole argument, even though I'm not a statehood proponent. Uh, I don't like the turnout argument. I prefer to use the argument that it was exclusive of other options. And it's not Federico de Jesus saying it. It's the U.S. Department of Justice saying it in 2017 when there was a referendum. There was a boycott. And yeah, that was Trump's DOJ. Let's remember that. Yeah, quoting Obama. Let's get to that. Okay. All right. We, we, we only have a few minutes, but I want to get to this. So speaking of Trump, uh, co-chair for Latinos for Trump presented this. This is your resident commissioner who identifies with the statehood party. How do you feel, DNC member Luis Avila, the statehood party that right now is mem many members on the island today are uh, defending <laughs> conversion therapies? How do you, DNC member, feel about this party being the major... Um, carrier of this mission on the island and on the mainland. Well, I, I, I like that you brought the conversion therapy issue because that's something that's very hot, a, a very hot topic down here on the island. And, and that's that's the problem that we're having. And Federico will, will agree with him that the Senate president of Puerto Rico, of the Puerto Rico Senate at the moment, is is not a statehooder. He's part of the Popular Democratic Party. Uh, and he has already said that he, you know, they are not likely to approve uh, this this law that prohibits conversion therapy. So that's 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 the main issue that we have in Puerto Rico. We're we're not able to organize politically uh, with, with left or right uh, leaning views. It's all about the political status. And then you know sometimes you're stuck in 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 parties that um, that 
push for a, a status alternative, which, which either Federico or I support, but we don't necessarily agree with what people within our own parties um, um, advocate for. And I think it's a, it, it, it's a, the tragedy of colonialism. So yes, we have, I have a, a member in, in uh, my uh, party that, that is, that caucuses with Republicans. That's her right. I mean, that, who am I to tell her uh, not to caucus with Republicans? That she was elected by the people. Um, but the reality is that the statehood bill was introduced by more, uh, not, not just by her, but also by Democratic uh, members. It's actually a majority of Democrats are, are the ones that have uh, co-sponsored the bill. So it's really not a, a Republican island? measure, um, but, but a, a measure of fairness and equality for all Puerto Ricans. Um, Fede. Look, Luis is right again. The bipartisan bill that the stateholders are promoting is bipartisan, and he is right that there aren't left or right politics in Puerto Rico. I opposed the Commonwealth candidate in the last election because he was a homophobe, um, and he was calling gays uh, sinners, and that's appalling. Mm -hmm. and by the way, the Senate president did vote to ban con conversion therapy. He just said he wouldn't uh, opine this time until the vote happens, which I think that he should say that I'm against it, but whatever. But here's the other point. The reality is that most of the people in the NPP, the party that's supporting statehood, there is a chasm, right? Because you can't say you're for equality, but then be a racist. You can't say that you're for equality and then be against uh, banning conversion therapy. And most of that party uh, approved the religious freedom law in the last time. So yeah, it shouldn't be a left or right issue, but there is a chasm between people demanding civil rights and denying them to voters in Puerto Rico or aligning themselves with Trump in, in the mainland. So that's the contradiction. It's not whether the island politics are left or right. It's a mess. It's not Democrat or Republican. We agree on that. But how can you say you're for equality when you support a party that denies that equality in Puerto Rico? That's, that's the point. And that's precisely what statehood would eliminate it would eliminate the, the political party system as we know in Puerto Rico and would bring in the Democratic and Republican Party as the parties would elect officials uh, to public office. And that then, then the issue would be resolved, at least in, in, in those terms. Um, but even the, the governor himself has said that Puerto Rico is a, would be a swing state, so there's no uh, clear determination of whether or not there would be two Democratic senators or two Republican senators and, and how many congressional members as well. So um, before we wrap, I, I, I want to just ask Luis. So this, this bill that is being presented by uh, Congresswoman Velasquez and NAOC, it brings all parties to the table, aside from the plebiscite. If, you, if, if your, your basis is, we just had this plebiscite, and many plebiscites, by the way, um, in which statehood has, has won based on certain terms, then why not just, you know, aside from that, which is controversial and debated, why not just come to the table with this other bill? Because statehood members are included. In fact, some statehood members do support this Velasquez AOC bill. Why not just come to the table and say, let's have a debate out in the open in a democratic way where representatives equally uh, distributed into this convention that they have can really air out every single aspect of this and may the best team win. I mean, I think I think there's room for debate, but I think the bill needs, needs a lot of work. I mean, the bill, at, you know, First of all, it, it included, it, it, it opens the door for non-territorial options other than statehood independence and free association, which are the only three recognized options. So mm -hmm. by opening that door, it, 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 it allows for the process to even become more complicated and potentially, potentially the convention coming up with a 
proposal that at the end of the day, Congress will not be able to act upon. But that's what the um, negotiating commission is for in the bill, so that people know, oh, wait a minute, Congress wouldn't go for that. That's in the bill too. But Fede, the, 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 the bill says that it allows for any option uh, oh, other, you know, in addition to uh, independence and others. So it's already saying that it will allow for it. So, I mean, that's just one of the, that, that's just one of the, the other thing is at the end of the day, after going through all this process, you end up in a non-binding uh, referendum. No, no, so he wants equality, but not for other options. He wants to limit options. I want people to vote for whatever they want in Congress. I don't want to limit options. I want to do something that's real and that moves forward. And the problem is when you come up with this, you know, anything goes, uh, at the end of the day, you're going to end up in the same pl place where you started. I'm, you know, I'm 37 already. I don't want to, you know, die and, you know, be, you know, I, I, and I know this is going to be a, a year struggle, but at the end of the day, I mean, I've lived, uh, you know, I've been hearing for the last 25, 30 years of my life, um, the same thing. And we're always at the same, at the same, uh, you know, place, you know, I, I, at least I can admit that, that, you know, there is at least an effort to do something, but at the end of the day, what you're proposing ends up delaying and, and, you know, we keep up ending in the same, in the same place as where we started. So, Democracy I mean, is, a, is, is, listen, it's messy, but it's the best thing that we have. And, and if it means more democracy, doesn't that, I, all right. So we, we only have two minutes left. I just want to do a rapid, I'm sorry, guys, this, we could talk about this for an hour and a half. We should, you should come back on. We'll, we'll do the next stage of this. <laughs> um, rapid fire. Last question is, there has been a bill before presented and in Congress. So why didn't it work? Why, why this time? Why is this time special? Fede. Well, I mean, there's several bills that have been presented before. I think this time is different for several reasons. The, these, this bill that Nidia Velasquez and Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and all other presidential candidates from the Democratic Party accept Amy Klobuchar's support and 85 other members of Congress, mostly progressive, some Republican. Uh, the difference is that bill was the product of advocates, of community organizers in Puerto Rico and in the diaspora in the United States. Um, that wanted some change. It wasn't a product of a political party in Puerto Rico who have dominated the debate. And I'm for opening it up for the people. And I think this is a chance that we have. Hopefully, if the White House commits to the thing that they promised the voters and provides leadership, maybe something could happen. And I think that advocates are pushing for it. And I think that's a great thing. And I agree, Luis, this could be improved. And that's what the legislative process is for. The main reason we need self-determination is that Congress has never offered it. It should be binding, it should be inclusive, and it should be fair. And if those elements are in there, I'll be happy to support it. Please. You know, I think there's, there, there is an impediment for Congress to come up with the options and define them. You know, I think it's their responsibility. And, you know, you can come up with a bicameral commission and bring in people from Puerto Rico and even have, you know, whatever election you guys want to have. But I think Congress can really define this. And at the end of the day, you know, one of my main concerns of that, of that bill um, is the fact that after going through everything about the congressional delegation and the options and whatnot, it still leads to a non-binding plebiscite and non-binding referendum to the people. So, you know, it, it, again, it doesn't tie, it doesn't, the results of that whole process does, is not binding. I mean, so. As is I the think, plebiscite, by the way, which is your well, basis. This is the plebiscite, but the plebiscite was a local law enacted by the Puerto Rico legislature. We're talking about Congress's responsibility and this is a congressional bill. So a congressional bill should have a, you know, binding clause. And, and 
and they tried. I mean, I, I read Section 7 of, of Velasquez's and, and AOC's bill, and they tried to make it as binding as possible and, and to tie it up as much as possible. But at the end of the day, they can't do it. It can't be binding because if you don't define the options, if you leave it up, out in the open, there's no way to, to make it uh, a, a binding uh, a plebiscite or question. So I think at the end of the day, Congress needs to you know, gather everyone, come up with the options, celebrate as many hearings as possible, and then let the people decide and let, let's vote directly. <laughs> no, the, the bill says that Congress shall approve what the people support, but we can tinker with the details. Congress has never done this. Congress has approved mm -hmm. or been close to approving plebiscites that are federal, like Luis says, and they've never gotten to third base. Puerto Rico has also done non-binding plebiscites that haven't resolved anything. Let's try something different. It doesn't have to be this idea, but let's not keep doing the same thing all over again, expecting different results. Well, right. back, back in 2012, I believe, or 2010, the House passed legislation to move a federally sponsored plebiscite. And the only reason it failed was because it failed in the Senate and the opposition of the state of opponents, all they did was include the territorial option. Things have changed. Okay. I think there is a window there, Fede, to, to have, you know, to replicate that, that, same, that same strategy that happened eight years ago and leave the territory behind. Well, Good point is- options in this bill, so yeah. The thing is, is things have changed for both of these bills. There's a pathway for both of these bills. I think that's fair enough. I'm really glad you guys came on. Uh, hope to do this again. I would do this regularly. <laughs> this is so much fun for me. <laughs> all right. At least they're friends. We're all friends. <laughs> Federico de Jesus and Luis Davila, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm sure we'll have round two very soon. Thank you, Nomiki. Really appreciate it. Thank you. hear me talking about Sunset Lake CBD all the time. Uh, they are a farmer-owned company that ships craft CBD products directly from their farm in Vermont to your door. Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. They offer tinctures, I have one right here, gummies, salves, and coffee, and fudge, which is dangerous, <laughs> designed to help with stress, aches, and pains. Uh, it was originally a dairy farm in Vermont, the Ben and Jerry's dairy farm, and they decided to diversify and grow premium hemp. Customers of Sunset Lake CBD, when they are customers, they support sustainable agriculture that enhances rural communities and creates meaningful employment in the community because their their minimum wage is, oh, $15 an hour. <clears throat> Kirsten Cinema, do you hear that? And employees own the majority of the company and they support through their advertising shows like our show, the Nomi Key Show, the David Pakman Show, and of course, those folks over at the Majority Report. I have my CD oil right here. It is uh, 3,000 milligrams. I think the last one I had was 800. I Okay, so I got my Moderna shot yesterday which some of you guys know. And at first I was like, oh, I feel fine. And then halfway through the show, because I got it in the morning, I started to feel icky, uh, like a little bit of a headache. And then the headache lasted all day. And then in the middle of the night, they warned me that my arm was going to start hurting. And in the middle of the night, I woke up and my arm was in pain and I couldn't sleep on that side. I'm a side sleeper. Um, so I pulled out my CBD and I put it in my water glass and it helped. So the power... And I've tried CBD before. I was like not really into it at first. You know, you can buy it at bodegas in New York and it was like a hundred bucks. And I'm like, what is everybody talking about? And it didn't impact me. So I just kind of stayed out of that world until I got this care package from Sunset Lake CBD. And 
I'm not kidding. Like it's changed my sleep pattern. It's really affected my life. Like I'm not taking ibuprofen. Like everybody said to when you get the vaccine. Um, but Dorsey, I know you are also a big fan of Sunset Lake CBD and we're not kidding. Like this is, we're like our friends, our family, everybody's buying it. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of it. My, uh, my partner is now she's pretty much hooked on it. She like, you know, can't wait for the, for the new delivery to get here when we run out. Uh, which happens a lot because, you know, the gummies are kind of like my substitute for ibuprofen or any kind of pain relieving, you know, pills and stuff that I just want to avoid. Um, and I, you know, I love the tincture more than anything, but I'm still out of that one. We, we ordered, we, I, I messed up on my order and I didn't get the tincture. So I'm still waiting on that, but that's the one that helps me with sleep and with aches and pains, but I love the gummies for more of like, you know, if I have like a little bit of anxiety or I'm just kind of like, I need to chill out a little bit, but I don't yeah. want to, you know, smoke any of the herbs that I like to smoke to usually do that. Uh, it's, it's the way to go. And like you said, tried stuff before the bodegas in New York that were super expensive and it just like tasted so bad. And it's like, yeah. yeah, it was really expensive, but just like it tasted bad and it didn't do anything, you know? So it's right. like, well, that's, you know, two reasons why I won't get it. And, you know, this was, you know, you've seen that hearing the ad on uh, majority report and uh, using that promo code and getting, getting it. I, you know, it was, I was hooked immediately. So I hate to say hooked, but it's true. You know, it's like, it's, just like, like, it, it's not like addictive. It's just I, for me, like, I don't like being out of control, but I want to wind down. And so, you know, it, it's, it helps in other ways too, but like, I'll have a glass of wine at night, but then sometimes I just have to get work done. Um, and I want to take that edge off. It's amazing. Like, because, you know, when I've done the other stuff, I feel extremely out of control. Like the last time I, I did the other stuff, I was sitting there in front of uh, Netflix thinking, what is the purpose to life? Why am I even watching this? Why is this important? That is not for me. I'm sorry. I want, I want that like vibe, but I don't want to be questioning my existence on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and then if I drink like three glasses of wine, like I can't focus. So this is amazing. It's really shifted my life in so many ways and made me healthier. So I'm, I'm very grateful to, to Sunset Lake CBD and you should be too. And if you want to uh, order Sunset Lake CBD, we have a promo code. You can get 20% off of your entire order at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the promo code NOMI, N-O-M-I, and you will get 20% off of your entire order, sunsetlakecbd.com. And remember, they're also just a very ethical business. So you're also supporting, like you get the discount, but you're also supporting good people who are very um, passionate about uh, the work that they're doing. And they believe in the values that, you know, the progressive values that we all fight for. So uh, sunsetlakecbd.com. With that, Helen Hong. Oh my God. I'm so happy to see you in your little studio. I have my little studio. You have your, if people could like expand outward and see our studios. <laughs> They'd be amazed. Whoop, but your sound's off. <sighs> While you're doing that, I'll do the intro. Helen Hong is the host of Jobsolete Podcast and the Go Fact Yourself Podcast. She is an actor, comedian, TV host, and news commentator. She's a frequent guest on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I love Wait, I like grew up with it. So it's so wonderful hearing you on when you go on. So hi, can you hear me now? We can hear you. I can show you exactly what's going on in my in my Zoom room. Uh, it's literally my closet. See? Oh it's, my god! It's see so the hanging. Nice. <laughs> it's you've, literally my bedroom closet. So you've got all the foam. So I just added some stuff in 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 my. Um, it's not really a garage. It's like a like a sunroom or something. It's like very old, and 
it's, I added all of my paintings I haven't hung on the wall that are huge oh. that um, got damaged, water damaged, but they're helping with the sound because no amount of foam, I'm like covered in foam. No amount of foam helps. You know, no. I just saw yours. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's literally, I bought all of this foam off of a, some random dude on Craigslist and oh I need more. Gosh. I need to, I need to hit up the Craigslist guy again. Yeah, I got it for cheap. I mean, it was real sketchy. It was like out of his garage. I was like, maybe I shouldn't be here because I might get murdered. But, um, but yeah, the foam helps. But yeah, you need a lot of it. You need a lot of it. A lot of it. People don't understand. <laughs> those Patreon subscribers, those patrons, it's going to foam. And then the other stuff like staff. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's shift gears for a second because last week there were these horrific, the, 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 the hate crime, that's my definition. I don't know when the rest of the country is going to catch up. The hate crimes that, ex that existed, that took place in Atlanta um, against the Asian community, against women, uh, horrified the country, has opened up a well-needed and overdue conversation about what defines a hate crime, what rhetoric from the president, former president, excuse me, Trump, leads to um, regarding the China virus, you know, and, and the rise of hate crimes against the Asian community. Yeah. But a few days before, Dorsey, I think we have this clip of, um, uh, from now this, you talked about a personal experience yeah. uh, in which someone you love and care for was a victim of a hate crime. Can we play that clip? I told you to be careful because lately there's a lot of random attacks on old Asian people. A couple of days ago, I went to a stop and shop, uh, grocery uh, supermarket. Somebody left to cut in the parking lot. So I brought it to the, the collector area and just to turn around, this attendant, he pushed one cut about seven or eight feet, he threw it to me so fast that when I turn around, I have no chance to avoid it. This cut just crossed over my left toe. And then I came home, I opened the socks. The area is dark. The blood is dead. It hit me so hard. So this now this features your story of your father. Yeah. Can you can you give a little bit of a background on what happened? Yeah, it was so crazy. You know, I didn't he didn't even tell me that this had happened. I um I I started a YouTube channel with my dad um called Old Korean Dad Stories and Sometimes Mom. <laughs> And, you know, mostly we talk about like stories from the Korean War and, and his his path, like he has all these incredible stories. And so I was doing a video with him about the general attacks. I said, you know, I told you to be careful. There's all these attacks happening. And he's like, then he springs this on me, this th oh that God. this had happened to him. And I was like, wait, you didn't tell me that before. And also like, did you report it? You know, and he's like, no, you know, I was only mildly injured. And I'm like, what? Like the fact that this guy, it was, he was an employee of that supermarket. He was the guy that collects the carts in the parking lot. 
was screaming racist obscenities at my father and shoved a car. Obviously, he was younger than my father. And that's the thing that really gets me. It's that these cowards, they're always younger. You know, they're mostly men. And, you know, often they come up behind the victim. The the victim doesn't even know what's happening. They push them. They attack them from behind. It's just so cowardly. And, um, you know, my dad's uh, t- my dad's approach to it, I think, is a- is uh, the same approach that a lot of elderly uh, first generation immigrants are are taking, which is why a lot of these incidents are going severely underreported. They're like, you know, ugh. they're stoic. They're- yeah, they're like, we're you know, we we don't speak English that well. Like, who are we going to tell? Like, I can't even like I don't even have the language capacity to you know, describe the incident properly. I don't have the language to like fight back against these people. So I'm just going to suck it up. Mm-hmm. And for us, uh, the younger generation and the generation that was born and raised here, we're like, no, 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 no. We have to make noise about this. We have to complain about this. We have to speak out against this because this is wrong. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's why, like, my dad never reported it. He didn't even report it to the supermarket management. Like, all of these incidents are going severely underreported. So right now, I think the official numbers are there. There have been 4,000 attacks. There's way more. I mean, that's not even scratching the surface. And it is because of this past year of Kung flu and the China virus, like our politicians and, and, uh, you know, officials making these, you know, these like jokey, like, yeah, it's the Kung flu, it's the China. It's so irresponsible because these have real world consequences on people like my dad. You know, my dad was the victim of an attack. He, you know, he even says like, if I had been one, you know, three inches to the left, I, I might have broken a hip. I mean, that's yeah. that's how hard this guy shoved this card at me. I could have broken a kneecap. I could have broken a hip. Like something were way, way worse could have happened. And it was just dumb luck that only only my my toe was injured. And, and this is in Los Angeles too. I mean, let's no, just this, this a, no, this is in Boston. This in Bo- is in Boston. Well, okay. Fair enough. I mean, this isn't a, it isn't a major city where there's diversity. I mean, I remember a few years ago, uh, it was like a real, this is before we saw in New York a rise of, of hate crimes against the Jewish community. Um, people literally couldn't understand how they literally thought, okay, well, we're in a city. We're not going to have those attacks because there's diversity everywhere, but it's just wrong. There's a rise in hate crimes all across this country, everywhere, everywhere. And the government isn't documenting them because number one, hate crimes are state by state. What, how you, de- you know, how you decide what a hate crime is and it takes forever. And, and, and the, de- you know, a lot of these states decided what a hate crime was 20, 35 years ago. Um, you know, in Atlanta in particular, they actually do designate uh, violence against women as a hate crime, but that's not even in the conversation right now. So even though that's the law, it's not even being presented that way, which is mind-blowing to me. And I'm so glad that you are calling that Atlanta attack a hate crime because that's exactly what it was. And it's funny that you said, like, you know, the rest of the country will catch up. I feel like the rest of the country realizes that. The only people that are not on board are the officials in Georgia, apparently, are the only people that are like, well, you know, and the thing that infuriated me is how much empathy seems to be given to the the assailant, the, the perpetrator, the criminal who has 
open murderer. Admitted, the murderer, the murderer who admitted, yeah, I murdered, you know. He had a bad day though, Helen. People. I he had, had a bad, bad day. He had a bad day. He woke up on the wrong scene. side of bed. I like go eat a freaking tub of Ben and Jerry's like the rest of us do yes. when we have a bat. Go get some potato chips and Smoke and like snuggle up with Dirty Dancing or whatever movie you need to watch when you're having a bad day. Don't go out and shoot up three Asian massage parlors like you're insane. And, you know, I, I the thing that I that I, I wrote on Twitter um you know, trying to make light of it is like, oh, you know, the officials apparently are accepting his, you know, his uh, response, which is like, I'm, I'm not racist. I mean, my penis <laughs> might be racist, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, my, my, my junk might be racist, but I'm. If this was not, like, give me a break, GTF out of here. You know, like it's, it's so insane. Like, it obviously was a hate crime. Yeah. He obviously targeted these businesses because they were Asian women. So don't try to like finagle his way out of this. Like this is so obvious to the rest of the world that this was a hate crime. So let's call it what it was. And the and premise of this argument came from that that sheriff who has rightfully been removed. I don't know what's suspended, removed, you know, fire the mother effer, who had presented online uh, uh, shirts and 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 swag, yeah. uh, quoting Race, racist paraphernalia. Yes, uh, calling this, calling it the you know corona imported from China, and he got you know, and he even wrote China like just like the way that the former president says says that word, and you know, and and so the rhetoric has real world consequences. Um, and we're obviously seeing that. And I, you know, I did a piece on now this warning about this yep. a year ago, yep. one full year ago, I did a piece on now this where I said, you can't call this the China virus. You can't call like a, a virus does not have a nationality. <laughs> Viruses do not have ethnicity. You know, they're like, they're, they're coming for you, whether you want them or not regardless of race so um the whole thing is just so irresponsible and and now you know i i just want to make an appeal to to good-hearted people you know the people who watch your show fans of yours are decent people you know i hope mostly decent people and you know i'm really calling out to a call of action of like don't sit by we have to stand up for our brothers and sisters here because you know just like the black lives matter took off when everybody became activated and everybody became enraged um um, and, you know, this has been happening to black people for hundreds of years in this country, and they're like 20% of the population. Meanwhile, we Asians, we've only been here for about 50 years, and we're only 6% of the population. Yeah. So we can't do it on our own. You know, I can't... Um, my parents live on the other side of the country. My parents weigh a combined weight of 240 pounds, and mm -hmm. I'm not kidding, dripping wet. My parents are tiny, <laughs> tiny people. Like, my mom literally wears a double zero. You know what that is, Nomiki? It's I've when, seen it. <laughs> it's when zero is too big for your ass. That's when you go to a size double zero. My mom is a double zero. This, this woman is like a willy wisp of a woman. So I can't do that. Like, I'm across the country. I cannot be watching my parents. I cannot be policing our yeah. old people. You know, we're just not, there's not enough of us. So my call to action is like, if you see something, say something like for real for real this is when you have to activate and and you know the, like please 
appeal to the best part of your nature and, you know, um, you know, get offer protection, keep your eyes peeled. If you see elderly Asian people, if you see Asian women, if you see any Asian person that's by themselves, like keep an eye on them because film the stuff too. um, defend them, film it, call people out. We know that police can't, (laughs) don't always, uh, understand, uh, we've heard many in the last several weeks, we've heard many uh, call-ins where people said, you know, I experienced a hate crime or experienced this, ex- you know, a, a violent attack. Uh, there was a woman on NPR a couple of days ago who talked about being attacked at a, at a restaurant and she called the police and they said, well, what are we supposed to do? She goes, does this happen often? He, said, he says, yeah. So um, I, I, before, before we wrap, I want to play this clip of Megan McCain because if you see something, say something. And this woman has the, one of the largest audiences in the country. The View is an extremely popular show on a major network, ABC. Let's roll this clip. And so we're going to a place where even if people need money, even if people are qualified to get into Ivy Leagues, race and gender is more important than your skill qualifications, the content of your character. It is not what Martin Luther King Jr. preached. I think this is a very, very slippery slope. I was very surprised to hear someone like Tammy Duckworth say something like this. She got a lot of blowback from a lot of people, not just on the right. And I think this is actually just the natural progression of identity politics. And I will say, just to put a cap on this, the View is 25 years old next year. We've only had one Asian American host co-host this show. So does that mean that one of us should be leaving at some point because there's not enough representation? Uh, there, we're talking about is identity politics more important than qualifications of a job? And I think that's a question going forward that the progressive left is going to have to reconcile. Okay, and before we go, because we're going to go and take a break, eventually we're going to come back and talk about the black farmer. Right. Excluded. Oh. My God. Okay. Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg is all of us. She is literally all of us. Megan McCain is trash. And she, I can't believe she's coming out so hard right on the heels, right on the heels, literally a day after she had to apologize publicly for getting called out for calling the coronavirus the China virus and being like, I don't have a problem with it being called the China virus. What's the big deal with the calling us the China virus? Well, bitch, now you see the big deal. People are getting hurt. People are getting murdered, murdered because of your freaking big mouth flapping off irresponsibly being like, I don't know why it's a big deal. We call it the China virus. Like, give me a break. What kills me though is like the there's an aggrievement, right? There's they're more upset with identity. God forbid minorities or people of color step up and say we deserve to live, live, and they're like, well, you know that's identity politics, or we deserve representation in government so that we have representatives who remind folks that we deserve to live. And she's like aggrieved as a child of a billionaire and a former senator. Yeah. Like God forbid you police my words from a. Yeah. Are you and, kidding me? And the thing that she was saying, which is the argument against affirmative action and the argument against diversity hiring and the argument against so many things, is such a perfect example like if you talk to anybody in any industry the number one thing that they tell you is it's all about who you know Mm -hmm. that's how you get that job it's all about who you know personal experience it's got to be about who you know so like (laughs) if you only know blonde people only blonde people are getting hired 
if you only know white folks, only white folks are getting hired. I mean, we, it, you know, people of color have known this for decades. And she's talking about like only, you know, only the qualified people, like, you know, we, we need to reach out to the most qualified candidate. It's like, well, how do you get qualification? You get qualification through experience. How do you get experience? You get experience by getting the job. How do you get the job? By knowing someone who looks like you. Not so, to mention uh, economic disadvantages, you know, I mean, there's, a, uh, we could go through the list of inequities in this country. I mean, the irony of this whole thing, <laughs> just a side note, she's talking about we had one Asian person, it was Lisa Ling. Lisa Ling, who has been very vocal about these attacks, and her husband, Paul Song, who was a Bernie Sanders supporter, as you were too, absolutely. who've been incredibly vocal about these attacks that have been happening against the Asian community. Like, how dare you speak on behalf of exactly. other, how dare you? I mean, you- I've known her for a long time, okay? We both started in the media together. Look at our trajectories. I'm not a McCain. I am not a person of color, but I'm just trying to say like, this is not, there are institutional issues and then layered on top of the institutional issues there are who, who you know. I had a conversation recently with somebody and I'm sure you could refer to this, um, a white man who was very upset about identity politics and, 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 and cancel culture. And he said, you know, he, he explained how he was passed up on a project for a black a black man got it instead and i said oh okay so did you ever think that 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 that, that table had 10 people and you were the the, the worst of the, <laughs> the worst guys. of the whites you were the worst of the whites so you know what buddy hit the road worst of the whites like i my mediocrity was not that, that's offensive to me that my mediocre ass did not make the cut and I, you know, it's just, it's so, uh, it's so enraging. And it's so, it, it is something that is very, very, very familiar to people of color. I mean, you know, we talk about this, you know, I'm an actor and we talk about this in the entertainment industry all the time. It's like, you know, people complain, like people will be like, well, the, the Asian actors just aren't up to par. Oh my God. Well, how do you get up to par? You get you get smaller roles, which lead to bigger roles, which lead to starring roles, and that gets you up to par, right? Well, if you're if you're cause the beginning roles are only like two lines as an Asian massage parlor worker, or two lines as a nail salon, because those you know nail salon worker, or two lines as the Chinese restaurant waitress. How many roles are there? Right. That's five roles in a year. Like, how do you get up to par? The stepping stones for the us are not there. You need mm. to create actively create the stepping stones for us to get up to par, quote unquote. You know, if if an Asian actress has only ever been able to audition to play a Chinese food waitress. Right. That, you know, whereas a white actress can play anything, a secretary, a doctor, mm -hmm. a nurse, a lawyer, a construction worker, like you think there, uh, 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 there's ever been an Asian construction worker <laughs> hired in the history of Hollywood? You think <laughs> there's an Asian dog walker that's ever been hired in the history of Hollywood? An mm -hmm. Asian business exec, you know what I mean? Like a business executive, unless it's a Japanese company, like you can't break, like the stepping stones are not there for us. So don't even tell me about us not being up to par. The the, there's a systematic, there, the system is rigged against us. Yes. Black people are so familiar with this. Brown people are so familiar with this. Asian people are so familiar with this. 
Absolutely. Helen Hong, you are up to par for our show. <laughs> if we had a little ecosystem, I would be chatting with you all day long. Love you. Support you. I hope your parents are doing well. Thank uh, you. Folks, call to action. Call Watch to out. Action. Get your cameras up. Yeah. Defend. Be an ally. Be an ally. And a lot of the, just quickly, like a lot of the uh, the things that you can do to help are similar to if you help sexual harassment victims, like go stand next to them, be like, hey, come come over here, stand next to me, Mary, Sue, whatever, like pretend like you're their friend. Just be an ally. Don't just stand by. Love you. Thank you. All right, everybody, we will be right back with Jordan Zachary. We're going to talk about Cuomo, the best topic ever. The topic that never ends, Andrew Cuomo. Be right back. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Jordan Zacharin, he runs the Progressives Everywhere newsletter. Go check it out. It's incredible. Uh, it's one of these amazing... No, it's... I'm not like... I'm going to keep going. It's fine. <laughs> he's incredible it's incredible and he's regular on her show um i've been waiting to do this conversation with you because i uh we're both new yorkers and you know there's a certain type of new yorker that's been aware of andrew cuomo prior to covid and there's a certain type of new yorker who's just learning about <laughs> andrew cuomo prior to covid uh all right latest latest uh, where we are right now is we have the assembly, the New York State Assembly, which is in the process of undergoing impeachment proceedings, could take a very long time, could take many, many, many months. Um, the speaker of the assembly, Carl Hasty, just tested positive for COVID. So has Ron Kim, by the way, yeah, who broke open that. the New York um, nursing home scandal. And we're, we wish the best to both of them. I know that Carl Hasty uh, just received his vaccine, too. So be on the lookout, guys. If you get your vaccine, it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to be safe just yet. So um, I want to start with this Biden clip uh, because, you know, this this was from over a week ago at this point, but it's it's important because it, it it so much of this is three dimensional, 10 dimensional chess. It's not just about if Andrew Cuomo was to resign or be impeached or all the investigations. It's about where the power lies that's going to hold him accountable. Can we play that clip? President Biden giving his most extensive comments yet about Andrew Cuomo. The New York governor is currently under investigation by the state's attorney general for multiple credible claims of sexual harassment and misconduct. If the investigation confirms the claims of the women, should he resign? Yes, I think he'd probably end up being prosecuted too. Meanwhile, new reporting in the New York Times details the lengths the governor and his allies went to discredit Lindsey Boylan, the first accuser to go public. According to the Times, Cuomo's team started circulating an open letter attacking Boylan that they hoped former staff members, specifically women, would sign. No one would. So this is a big deal. Um, full disclosure, uh, Lindsey Boylan is a friend of mine uh, and I, I support her. Um, and I, I, you know, of course I believe her and I believe all of the women who've stepped up with full documentation, <laughs> by the way. Um, this is very classic Cuomo. Uh, I think many people have received the pressure from his staff members or others in the past. And so that might've worked when he was fighting the IDC, when he was complaining to editors about coverage of uh, the IDC and his connection to it or many other things. This is how it's, but in this case, you see staffers since Lindsay Boylan has stepped up, previous staffers and current staffers, women, 
say that they too have experienced this. Jordan, um, this is really an important, this is what is, is catching fire. Uh, simultaneously, there's other investigations going on that are, are probably more prosecutorial, at least at this point. Um, how are these dynamics, like, what do you think is, is like, where, where are the power, how's the power going to flow for this to hold him accountable? Does that make sense? Yeah, no. I, so like you said, the, uh, the assembly's doing an investigation, which could, like you said, could take months. They're, they're contracting out the investigation to a law firm that has plenty of New York state political connections. So uh, plenty of conflict of interest already right there. But, you know, Letitia James, the attorney general who has, you know, obviously she owes her position to Cuomo, but is certainly. Explain that. Well, so, so Andrew Cuomo, you mentioned that obvious to most right, people. Yeah. So, so Andrew Cuomo, uh, as you mentioned, the IDC, that was a group of breakaway Democrats who were kind of Democrats uh, because he had to be in New York. They decided that they would team up with the Republicans to give them the control of the state Senate. That was through most of like, I think of like 2013 to 2018 and just stopped so much progress and allowed Cuomo to just be, you know, whatever he wanted to happen would happen. Whatever he didn't want, he could squash without, you know, seeming like a bad governor. You know, you say, well, we can't pass it in the state Senate. Uh, and basically in 2018, a lot of real Democrats, progressives, ran with the help of the Working Families Party to beat those members of the IDC. And Letitia James, who was like a, you know, real long, long time Working Family Member Party in Dorsey, she wanted to run for Attorney General. And Cuomo said, I will support you, which is, you know, kind of like a, you know, kingmaker type deal if you reject the endorsement of the Working Families Party, because Cuomo really hated the Working Families Party because they were supporting Cynthia Nixon, who was primarying him. She said, all right, she made that deal with the, like, the literal devil. And she accepted his endorsement, uh, said no to the Working Families Party, and won. Now she's in the position where she has to investigate Cuomo. And you know, to be fair to her, you know, she took the deal. Uh, don't love that, but to be fair to her, she was the person who broke open the nursing home scandal. Once, uh, you know, her her office investigated that after Ron Kim, who you mentioned before, uh, hopefully he's okay. He says COVID, you know, for months and months and months, nearly a year, was talking about uh, how it was clear that Cuomo administration was just covering up. I don't know, like five, ten thousand deaths from nursing homes, blaming it, you know, saying they they doesn't do with COVID. So uh, Letitia James is one of two people now doing, or one of two groups doing investigations into Cuomo. The wide-ranging one for the assembly, they have like, they can uh, investigate a whole lot. They've been allowed to, uh, the nursing home scandal, the covering up problems with the, bri the bridge that bears his father's name, the Mario Cuomo Bridge. Oh, yeah. This has been going on for a while. Yeah. Just sexual crazy. Harassment. It's not safe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't take the Mario Cuomo Bridge, guys. Just don't do it. <laughs> you think that like the one named after his dad, he'd probably want to like make sure it's safe and yeah, you know, you not seem like, okay. yeah. Um, Details, buddy. Details. Right. <laughs> And so, yeah, so they're investigating that, and that can take months. And people see that as buying time for Cuomo to, I guess, like, wait out the outrage. Letitia James is investigating just the sexual harassment claims. Oh, I imagine she gets busier and busier every day because more and more people seem to be coming out saying, yeah, Governor Cuomo groped me, said weird stuff to me, unhooked my bra, just all these terrible accusations that obviously people in his office investigate uh, are saying that it happened, people who are working for him. I don't know how, like, what more proof you need, you know? You don't say about your current boss, who is the governor of New York, that he sexually harassed me. There's no, there's very little upside to doing that if it is not true, and even if it is true, you know, it's, it's uh, puts you out on a limb forever. And so, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things where it's going to take, I, I can't imagine that the, if Cuomo is going to be forced to resign or to be impeached, this assembly investigation 
I can't imagine it's going to be the thing that makes it happen because that's going to take so long. And so I would imagine it's going to be Letitia James and her investigation or just more and more people coming out and saying these things about Cuomo to, you know, force the hand of the state assembly, which is still, you know, controlled by Democrats who are, I guess they owe something to Cuomo or they, you know, yeah. So, well, not to mention there's the right wing, which has pushed for investigations. You have the Albany police saying that something criminal may have happened. They're going to investigate. And I think this is why Biden, I, I, I believe in my heart that Biden may have uh, had a Biden gaffe in this interview um, where he said he'll probably be prosecuted because the feds are involved as well, the Department of Justice. Um, he is being investigated from every single level. But but to be fair, Andrew Cuomo is the king of investigations. He has survived. His well, staff hasn't. He buried them. He keeps buried them. I mean, his, his best friend, uh, his third or second brother, uh, Joe Prococo, that's what he called him, is in jail right now because of a Moreland Commission play-to-play -play -play scandal <clears throat> that existed, you know, with the Buffalo Billion, a uh, billion dollars sent to Buffalo where I grew up and, uh, you know, basically went into the pockets of different folks. And there's a few people in jail now. So, I mean, this is a very classic Cuomo, uh, really comp, I mean, it's not that complicated. It's just not sexy. And I think like, this is the thing, the nursing home scandal where it definitely hit a nerve with so many people it really went over, I mean, simultaneously with the sex scandal, sex, sexual um, harassment and assault scandal, and Tish James, her own, his own party member and loyal person, that kind of cracked it open. So he's being attacked from both sides. You know, he's done deals with the Republicans, but now the Republicans are going after him. <laughs> he's done deals with the left, but they always go after him. So he's, he, it start, he's getting isolated. He's being attacked from all different fronts, which I think is different, you know, than the Moreland Commission, where... The, nobody understood it. It was corruption. Corruption's not sexy. Um, and his approval ratings wouldn't go down. And that's ultimately, I've talked to a lot of different politicians, current governors, former governors, what is it that really will make or break? And they always say, if his approval rating dips below 30%. I don't know why 30%. 30 why? I don't know why. absolutely hated. He's got to be reviled by 75% of the country. I, I don't, I mean, maybe there's some factor, sure. whatever. I, I, this is beyond me, right? But this is what 30, 35% is what everybody keeps saying. Um, his approval ratings dropped astronomically within four or five days. It He went from, I, I'm going to be off a little bit, 43% saying he should stay in office to like 33% should say he should stay in office. Um, those aren't approval ratings, but they're similar. Right. So if, if you're Andrew Cuomo, who's a master chess player, right? Really, he is, he is I'll give credit where credit is due, the best in the business. Seriously. Mm -hmm. he, he has an Achilles here. It's a heel, it's fear, like instilling fear in others and anger and you know all the things that he does. Um, but if you're Andrew Cuomo, you want this process to delay through through the assembly who's currently going through impeachment proceedings and investigations. Um, you want the budget to go through, which we're now in the midst of. He's presenting his budget and, and, and it's a tense time in Albany. And you want to use that to barter your uh, security, at least to finish out a term, no? Yeah, I mean, think about how much money, you know, the American Rescue Plan, the stimulus is going to provide New York State, right? All these legislators have these projects and that they desperately need to get done. You know, I think what I just saw was that uh, they came to some agreement on marijuana legaliz legalization uh, after Cuomo kind of dragged his heels on that for years. 
Um, so, I mean, maybe that that's part of it. He's kind of, like you said, using as bantering point, uh, bartering points because there's so much to get done, you know, whether it's opening schools, whether it is, you know, distributing so much money that's going to come through the American rescue plan, all these legislators wanted to go to their home district and say, look what I got, look at these projects, uh, money for funding for this thing. You know, all these, all these benefits that we got, uh, you know, we can now make testing and we can get vaccines out faster. So I think that, you know, he is trying to use that, like you said, as sort of the uh, way to get people, maybe not on the side, but to back off a little bit. But budget has to be in apparently by, it has to be in by April 1st. That never really happens. Uh, I don't like, like uh, due dates don't really matter. I don't think. Although he's a big fan of saying, uh, I get it on time. Uh, Albany, but, <laughs> right, yeah. I think he's got a little bit nobody harder cares. time getting people to, uh, yeah. No, no, absolutely, nobody cares. He's going to have a little harder time, I think, getting people to agree to those things. You know, Alessandro Biagi is, is you know, already sending emails and ringing the, ringing the bell and uh, making you know, big demands, which obviously she should. Uh, you know, once he took down one of his big allies in the IDC. And, and she's so, al- you know, also that, like, former staffer. No, get- she was a, not staffer, she was yes. an appointed person um, in his administration, Alessandra Biagi, who's a senator. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's part of like the women's working group, right? the sexual harassment working group in Albany who, you know, this is a big problem too. This is not just uh, Cuomo being a creep. Oh, this no. is like a huge <laughs> problem throughout all of, well, there's Shelly Silver, the former, uh, you know, assembly leader. He, you know, Speaker of the Assembly, he had a, a bunch of lawyer, a lawyer who was a huge creep that ended up being, you know, uh, sexually assaulting people. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, Alessandro Biagi who was part of the se- sexual harassment working group. There's so many people in Albany or women who have worked in Albany who have said, this is a real problem and this is a real cesspool. And Cuomo was the king of the cesspool, you know. And There, there was that line, uh, what happens past Bear Mountain stays past Bear Mountain. Bear Mountain is is like the the marker I'm like mm-hmm. you're 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 getting closer to Albany. Uh, things stay in, and you know, it is. I, I am. I listen. I don't know enough about it. Andrew Cuomo. Yes, he's the king of the cesspool now. He wasn't ten years ago. Ten years ago, this was the norm. I mean, the 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 land the um. I guess the 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 ground has shifted so much because of. Start with Alan Havasi, who went to jail. Um, there's the, the former controller of the state. You had Shelley Silver, who's in office for 20, or I don't know, much longer than that, but he was the Speaker of the Assembly for 20-something years. Um, you had uh, the, 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 the leader of the Senate, who mm-hmm. Dean Scalos, who also went to jail, all in the same time period. Uh, Malcolm Smith went to jail. Many state senators, many assembly members. There was such a shift, a drastic and quick shift um, with people who had been in power for decades. And it happened because of sex scandals, because of bribery, because of pay-to-play scandals, because of kickbacks, because of so many different issues. And so the, the, the foundation has shifted so much in Albany. And, and Andrew Cuomo has been able to survive that because it kind of came out after that, those, those crises, mm-hmm. at least as governor. Um, but simultaneously, you have progressives like Jabari Presport and Julia Salazar and, uh, you know, uh, Jessica Ramos. I mean, all of these people who've come in post uh, IDC mm-hmm. have really shifted like the conversation. So the power dynamics are shifting. I mean, yeah. it's good, right? Yeah. I mean, it was used to be the three men in the room, spoke the rooms, yes. right? And all they used to be like, whatever they decide gets, you know, we'll get introduced and we'll pass and it'll be the budget and that'll be that. And now all of a sudden power is more diffuse because why are these people, you know, there's so many lawmakers who don't now, who don't owe their careers to these, you know, men smoking cigars in rooms in Albany. And so that's such a big deal because they can't 
they're not just going to be loyal foot soldiers. They are going to vote their conscience and go, you know, for their own communities. And so I think that, like, we look back at beating the IDC in 2018, you know, that was to try and get some legislation passed, right, <laughs> for so many things that needed to happen. But the fact that is that, like, I think it changed the entire paradigm of what's happening in Albany, you know. Um, I just wish that uh, Jamani Williams had beaten Kathy. Hakul, the lieutenant governor. She, I think he lost by like three points in 2018. I'd be much more excited. For, I want Cuomo to gone, be gone. Be much more excited for him to leave if Jamani Williams was taking over uh, as, as. We governor. can differ on that. He's my former opponent. Um, <laughs> I mean, Kathy Hochul. Yeah. Yes, but Kathy Hochul. I, I'm. I'm. They're both of them are imperfect. Yeah. Oh no. I mean. Oh, we're cutting out. Yeah. I. I, I think what I'm. What I'm saying is that like there's a bit of. Oh, I was gonna. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're sense that, like I want like new blood in Albany. Oh, sorry. Am I good? Yes, but we need new blood that also respects women, yes. uh, also respects well, the budget prices, doesn't take real estate money. Like you got to be a real progressive. Not. Somebody... I will defer to you on that, and so <laughs> I will say that uh, I want who. Uh, here's a question for you. Yeah. Assuming Cuomo has gone, uh, he's not going to run for election. Let's assume that. Who is your ideal candidate to run? Well, first off, Kathy Hochul will be if if he has to step down. Kathy right. Hochul um, inherits the seat and. Uh, you know, yes, she was appointed, she was brought in by Andrew mm -hmm. Cuomo from Buffalo. Uh, I was actually raised in her district, so very familiar with the dynamics there. Um, you know, I mean, I think we need somebody who's bold and has has a real vision and, and has real experience and uh, is not tethered to the real estate industry, is not tethered to, uh, and I mean, truly tethered. I mean, the, the thing is, is that there's a real track record here. There's money you can follow. There are people who say, I don't take it now, and they still do. <laughs> Perfect. Um, somebody who is willing to shake things up and reform uh, the systems and understands like what democracy, like shifting the de democracy of the state, because fundamentally, the Democratic Party is an institution in New York that is basically just it's, it's Cuomo's institution. There is no Democratic Party in New York. But there are other parties in New York that are the that are pushing the levers. We have to reform those parties, too, so that they're more democratic. And so you know, if we really want to change the way this ecosystem works, we actually have to change the power uh, that th th backs them and make sure that they're actually progressive, that they're not supporting candidates to take real estate money, that they're not supporting candidates who sided with the police back, you know, backrooms, who haven't rezoned their neighborhoods, and, and not just progressives in name only. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can show up to a protest and take photos when everybody's shown up, but are you still taking the money from the people you're protesting? Right. That's what I want to see. Um, I love Cynthia Nixon. She's, I, I assume she's not running again, uh, but you know, it would, be, it would be wonderful to see somebody who's, I mean, I'm not opposed to Tish James. I think she's doing an extraordinary job as attorney general, surprisingly so. I did not back her, I backed Zephyr Teach Out, but I will give yeah. her credit. She took on the NRA and my God, like- that is the most powerful move anybody has taken against the NRA yeah. uh, ever. So I don't know. Who do you who do you think? It's it's tough for me to say. I don't think I know. Obviously, I don't know people there as much as you. But I think what I would love to see is, like you said, someone who. I mean, you mentioned you know parties that even the smaller parties need to be reformed. I remember the Working Families Party. You know who I you know I support. They also back Joe Crowley over AOC. You know, there's all these uh, you know vested interests that have to be severed, right? And so. Yeah, I mean, Tish J, I, you know, I, I defer to you and uh, who would be the, the right candidate. Don't defer uh, to me. Everybody's got yeah. a right to their opinion, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it's just, you know, who is, I just want to see someone who hasn't maybe been around forever, who doesn't have, hasn't lived in that, uh, I don't want to use the word swamp because it's a Trumpian word, but who hasn't, you know, made all those deals already. And so I think that for me, like, 
you need, I guess, in Albany to be able to navigate Albany, you know, experience and understanding of how the system works, but someone who hasn't been there so long that they, uh, you know, already are part of the institution there. So, you know, or who defined them too. You face, I mean, Cynthia Nixon certainly didn't have. Yeah. That's very I mean, Cynthia Nixon, well. if folks don't think like, I mean, you know, their whole thing on her was she was an experience. She crushed him in the debate. I was there in person and it was one of the most powerful experiences seeing somebody who they kept saying is not smart enough, is not this, she's an actress, blah, blah, very sexist, you know, condescending stuff. Sure. And she, meanwhile, she crushed him in the debate. She really crushed him in the debate. So, mm-hmm. Um, I think this is, it's a great conversation. We have a lot of time from now until then. Uh, maybe some other folks will come up and and stand out and defy, even if they came from the institutions, right? right. To be able to defy them. That's power. What, what Ron Kim did actually, um, because he hasn't always been fully progressive, mm-hmm. but he's really transformed his his position in power. And I'm, I, I give him a lot of credit. Like it takes a lot to say, no, thank you. And he's been doing that, you know, even when Cuomo was at his most powerful last year. It wasn't like he started yes. doing this, uh, you know, when Tish James investigation came out. Right. And Ron Kim was doing it like last March, last February. He has been relentless in this. And so I think like something like that, I really like Alessandra Biagi. I think, you know, she's, uh, she's powerful. She's effective. She's, you know, you know, she's like my age, but she's like incredible leader, you know, yeah. uh, I wouldn't be governor. But, um, it's incredible to see like, I think, you know, and she, you know, like they said, like you said, was like working in Cuomo's Albany. So she has like every motivation to uh, avenge that in a way. So and someone mm-hmm. like her, Ron Kim, I think there's a lot of great, great Jessica voices. Ramos. Yeah, Jessica Ramos is really great as well. Um, Union, yeah. really important. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Especially if Andrew Yang's our mayor. <laughs> Yeah, that is another conversation next time. <laughs> Jordan Zegrin, I love thank you for for this has been a whole show of just like let's get it out. Let's get it out. <laughs> um looking forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for the Cuomo conversation. Always, always a blast. Uh, I'm always happy to uh dump on him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week, Jordan. <laughs> All righty. Sounds good. Let's give you guys some shout-outs. We have ooh. Did you not, have you guys liked and and subscribed already? If you haven't, this is the time to do it. Go like, go subscribe. Seriously, like this is the moment. We're we're post-Trump era. Media is kind of like, you know, reestablishing itself. So we need that foundation. It's really important. Uh, we're an independent show, as you guys know. We don't take, like, we're, we're not part of the corporate infrastructure. So it's important that these, these likes and subscribes and shares are really important. So, all right, Difficult Truth has, thank you so much, has given, is giving out a tier one community sub gift. Oh, he gave one out yesterday. Thank you, a Difficult Truth, that's so sweet. Shelsey 100 says, hello, Namiki Show. Uh, persuading Biden to do stuff now is going to be way harder than I imagined. His brain. Sometimes he sounds like Ben Carson. I'm beyond concerned. I don't think it's more about the Biden administration. (laughs) Let's just say that. He has to take pressure. He's the president of the United States. So, and so does Chuck Schumer, by the way. Uh, Professor Harvey K., thank you so much for mixing it up in the live chats. We see you. We hear you. I chatted during the Puerto Rico segment. I sent something over to you. I uh, hope you get a chance to go back and watch the opening because we gave you a shout out. J.K.R. Dozer, thanks for the love. And Kowalski from Nebraska says, get some foam, coffee, CBD, or whatever you need. <laughs> I'm over my coffee today, but that'll pay for tomorrow's coffee. Thank you. Big thank you to Midi Ducks and Mario for working those algorithms today. It was a busy day. And huge, huge, huge thank you to our moderators, Bob C. Choken and The Orb and Chuck Diesel. And... Dorian Sapiens, A Difficult Truth, 
Nightbot, Our Means, Nug Wrangler, all you guys over at Twitch, thank you very, very much. And remember, once we hit that sub level, I'm gonna play a game on Twitch. That's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna play a game. All right, guys, we will see you tomorrow, same time, same place, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern. Stay in solidarity. Thank you.